You're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac Podcasting Network. Hi, folks, and welcome to episode 88 of the Let's Talk Photography podcast. I'm your host, Bart Bouchot, and this is the show for January 2021. 2021, goodness me. I'll be honest, this is not my first take of the show because I'm really bad at remembering to change the year number to start a podcast. Anyway, this is the first show of a whole new year. So let me take a moment to wish you all a very happy new year. I'll briefly mention the existence of our viral friend and say that the new year has not gotten off to a great start here in Ireland. We kind of lost the run of ourselves over Christmas and we now have a gigantic outbreak that's worse than it ever was at the very start of the pandemic. But I'm going to ignore that scary reality for the remainder of this show and uh, use photography as a worthwhile distraction. But anyway, the final thing I'll say is just I hope everyone manages to have a safe and productive 2021 and what I genuinely hope is that when we get to this time next year that the only people I will be socially distancing are those I loathe not those I love anyway what are we talking about this month well it's not so much we as me uh, another solo show this month last month was also a solo show and I went through the reasons why I think camera phones have gone from being pretty darn garbage to being, well, frankly, my primary camera. They are the camera I use by far the most. My camera phone is my camera, or my phone is my camera, whatever you want to look at it. And I mentioned in that episode that one of the reasons is that cameras can now shoot raw, and I didn't dwell on that fact particularly long. But it's probably because at the time I knew it was important, but I hadn't quite realised just how excited I should have been. And over the Christmas holidays, I ended up reading two blog posts slash articles um, that really changed my mind. Um, As friend of the show and fellow podcaster Alison Sheridan will put it, it blew my dress up. So the one that's most relevant is... Understanding Pro Raw by Ben Sandowski, who is one of the guys behind Halide, which is a fantastic image editing app and camera on iOS. And Halide has, since a few versions back of iOS, been able to take raw images in the traditional way. So... I'll come back to what that means in a moment. The other article I'll just mention to get that, you know, is it's a very, very long article. And for this conversation, only a small part of it is strictly relevant. But as fans of this podcast, I think you'll love the entire thing. It is huge and should be consumed in pieces, would be my advice. But it's called Cameras and Lenses um, by a chap called Bartos with a surname that I am not going to insult by butchering. Um, It's a very good read, and what makes it so much fun is that it's accompanied by interactive illustrations. So it's not just diagrams, it's diagrams with sliders underneath. And as you move the sliders, you change whatever it is that uh, Bartos is trying to explain in the text. 
And so, you know, when Bartos talks about, you know, the effect that bigger and smaller apertures has on an image, well, there's a slider there which alters the aperture of a pretend camera showing a, a you know, a, a an object and the image of that object. And as you slide the slider, the image of the object changes. And so it really lets you see what's being described in a very interactive way. So the whole article is fantastic. And it really goes into the the deep physics of cameras and lenses. And the focus is very much on cameras and lenses. But near the top of the article, there's like an aside. It actually has a different color background. And it's just a section about a very small part of the camera that isn't focused on for the rest of the article, which is the sensor. And it goes into some of the practicalities of reading data from a digital photographic sensor. And that's extremely relevant to what is going on with ProRAW. So if you're curious about what demosaicing is, which is something we'll be talking about, then the Cameras and Lenses article, the section on the sensor, on the black background near the top of the article, will help you to understand that part. So that, you know, the two are related in that way. Anyway, Ben's article turned me from thinking, oh yeah, that, you know, ProRAW sounds cool, into being, oh my God, ProRAW is amazing. So let's, let's rewind a little bit. What is ProRAW? So that's, actually, before we get to what's ProRAW, how's about what's RAW? Um, our screens display images at a certain range of brightnesses and colours. And we can capture that information in a bunch of file formats, but the one specifically for the job is the JPEG format. And our cameras have sensors that collect light and count how many photons of different colours of light hit it, telling it how bright different parts of the image are, etc. And our cameras can collect a lot more information than our screens can display. And when you're not shooting in RAW, your camera has to take the information, the sum totality of the information that has arrived at the sensor and convert it into a representation of that information that we can display on our screens. And so because photography existed as a chemical process before, we call that developing. So the camera develops the raw sensor data into an image file, usually a JPEG, that we can view on our computer screens or our phone screens, etc. And there's way less information in that JPEG than there was in the original sensor, raw sensor data. The unedited sensor data had more information in it. So if the camera does the developing, it throws away information. Now, cameras, with the exception of iPhones and stuff, you know, the modern phone camera has the advantage that its brain is actually a really, really good brain. But traditionally speaking, a normal DSLR camera, its brain is not particularly big or clever. They're really quite dumb computers. and so. They're not very advanced at the task of translating from all of that data that comes out of the sensor into the JPEG image, so they don't do the best possible job in that translation. And that's why it has become an option on higher-end cameras to save everything. Don't only save the camera's interpretation of the data that came from the sensor. Save all the data from the sensor, and we call those files that save all the data from the sensors raw files. Now, to use a raw file, the app you're opening the file in has to be able to do the same job the camera was doing. So that means it has to be able to interpret, it needs to actually have an understanding of 
the physics of the sensor that the data was captured from so that it can know how to interpret the data. And that that's why when a new camera comes out, you have to wait for Adobe to, to, to provide an update to, to Adobe Raw or for Apple to provide support for the camera in the Photos app. It's because the raw sensor data is heavily dependent on the actual hardware of the sensor. So you can't interpret the data without writing new logic into your app that is aware of the physicality of that sensor. But it means that an app that has that ability, you know, that has that understanding can provide you with sliders to do to assert your opinion on the translation from the raw sensor data into the output image. And you as the creator can, if you have the skills, can do a better job of getting the image you want. And you have all of this extra information available to you, which hasn't been thrown out, so it allows you to recover details in shadows that would have been lost otherwise, or details in highlights, or make color adjustments, you know, because the camera guessed wrong about the white balance and so forth. So it provides someone with the skills more control, but you're taking control away from the camera. Therefore, if you don't have the skills, what you end up with is a mess. And so it's always, a traditional RAW is a lot more work to edit than a JPEG because you have to do it all. You've basically said to the camera, turn your brain off, just give me the data. And that means you have to do it all. So Apple has had support for traditional RAW files for a few years now which is why apps like Halide exist. And they're not just an Apple thing. It's not just an iOS thing. There are raw, you know, the cameras on Android devices also allow raw data to be accessed by apps. And so those apps on Android and iOS have, until Pro Raw, behaved in the same way as a photo editing app on a Mac or a PC. They have needed to be aware of the physicality of the sensor, and they are doing exactly the same job of translating that raw sensor data into image data. And they also need to wait for updates from the vendor in order to be able to do anything. So up until ProRaw came out, apps like Halide had to understand the actual sensors in actual iPhones in order to be able to take the raw data from an iPhone sensor and process it in a sensible and sane way. And the the disadvantage, as well as having to do all that extra processing, so Halide does that instead of the iPhone brains doing that, and they can make different decisions and they can provide you with more sliders. So Apple provides you with zero sliders in terms of how it does a raw conversion, whereas Halide allows you control. So if you have the skills, you can use Halide to take control. But, you know, modern phones, like I talked about last time, have AI and all sorts of smart technology. So they actually do really clever stuff. And they also do things like merge multiple exposures into a single image. And if you're shooting in true raw sensor data, you would then have to have the raw sensor data for five or six exposures be saved in order for a third-party app to replicate those brains coming from those single processing chips and AI chips in these modern phones. So that means that a traditional RAW file is really poorly suited to maximizing the power of these devices. What you really want is to have your cake and eat it. You want to have access to enough data to be able to 
alter the automatic edits performed by the iPhone's amazing brains after the fact. So what you need is non-destructive iPhone brains. So you want the iPhone brain to not throw out information, but instead to transform the information in in a non-destructive way and save it in a format that apps like Halide can use. So that what you get has, by default, when you open a ProRaw image, you see what you would have seen if it were a JPEG. But you have the ability to retroactively change things because the information wasn't thrown in the bin. It was transposed into a portable format that allows an app that understands ProRaw to dial back the tone mapping effect or to shift the white balance just like you can with a raw image or to pull out highlights of shadows just like you can with a raw image. But you don't lose all the processing that Apple's amazingly clever chips and AI have done. So you get to have your cake and eat it, as it were. So that kind of made ProRaw interesting. And that's what Apple announced. But what I didn't know was that ProRaw isn't... ProRaw is a... Okay, ProRaw as a brand, as a... Brand is quite the right word. As, no, it is, I guess, the right word. ProRaw as a name is Apple's. But ProRaw the file is a completely open standard. ProRaw files are just a fancy name for DNG 1.6. DNG is a format developed and owned by Adobe for storing raw sensor data in a cross-camera sort of a way that is fully open and that is royalty-free. So it's free like money, but not free like rights. So Adobe own the digital negative DNG standard. DNG is short for digital negative, I should have said. And they control that standard, but they publish all the details and they provide a completely royalty-free license for creating and reading DNG files, which means it's a format that every camera manufacturer on planet Earth can use to write raw data into a file. And every photo editing app in the world can read data from DNGs. So it's not open source, it's not free, and yet it's free of cost and entirely transparent and open. So depending on your definition of open, DNG is either an open standard or a closed standard. But for all intents and purposes, it's open. And so rather than reinventing the wheel from scratch, what Apple did when they wanted to save the data that goes into their photo editing brain and the results of their photo editing brain in a non-destructive way is to add new capabilities to the DNG standard. So DNG 1.5 does not have the extra attributes needed to do what Apple are doing. DNG 1.6 does. DNG 1.6 was published by Adobe the same day Apple released the Pro Raw features for the iPhone's 12 Pro. And there's a link section in the show notes because I it's just too fun not to. Um, the full spec is public and linked in the show notes. 
So that means that a pro raw file isn't some sort of closed off thing that only Apple can edit. Any camera manufacturer on planet Earth can copy Apple here and write the same kind of information into a DNG file. And every photo editing app on every platform can read these pro raw files because they're just the NGs and can do then can access the non-destructively stored edits that Apple have added into the file. So that means that you could take a ProRAW photo on your iPhone and once support has been added by your favorite Mac or Windows editing app, you can adjust the iPhone's uh, image editing filters post-fact in a non-destructive way on Windows or on your Mac. You can dial back the HDR effect from the iPhone retroactively, non-destructively on your Windows PC or on your Mac. Head blown! That's amazing! Or on your iPad or whatever. And any other phone manufacturer can choose to start doing the same thing and writing their data into the same DNG 1.6 format. So everyone's free to copy Apple's genius here. And so cameras and Android can become just as clever and can write the data to DNG. And then the same image editors on any platform can edit other vendors' ProRAW files. They probably won't be allowed to call them ProRAW because I think Apple have a trademark on the name ProRAW. But DNG 1.6 captures it all. So anyone can use DNG 1.6 because it's a royalty-free license from Adobe. And Apple didn't take a solo run on this. They actually worked with Adobe to extend the format so that DNGs could store the data Apple needed stored. So that's the first thing that really surprised me. I I was genuinely surprised that ProRAW files are nothing more or less than DNG files. That's amazing to me. That this, this cool stuff has been put into a completely open format. Wow. So what is it that Apple added to the DNG spec to take us from DNG 1.5, which is before ProRAW, to DNG 1.6, which includes ProRAW? What's new? What, what did Apple's engineers work with Adobe to add into the spec? The first thing is slightly counterintuitive because it sounds like the opposite of progress. But it isn't, in my opinion. So the first thing is that a normal DNG file, like a normal raw file up until this point in time, stores the raw sensor data. And our digital image sensors, each individual pixel, each individual physical sensor is an intensity sensor. They are simply photon counters. They count the number of photons of light that struck the sensor between the shutter opening and the shutter closing. So they can only read intensity, which means they are inherently monochrome. And yet we have colour images. How is that possible? Well, the answer is there's three physical pixels needed to get one colour pixel. So. We don't really do it that way because then all of our megapixel numbers would become a third. So what we do instead is we still count every pixel as a pixel, but 
we put a grid over them of little pieces of coloured material. And so one third of the pixels in your camera only see and count blue light. And one third of the pixels in your sensor only see and record red light and one third only green light. And then some maths is done to guess, or, well, guess is perhaps too pejorative a word, interpolate the colour of each pixel. So each physical pixel only knows one third of its colour information. But based on all of its neighbours and a whole bunch of math, you can infer the probable colour of every pixel in the image. And one of the first jobs of a of a raw reader, of the reader of a traditional raw file, is to do the math to turn that grid of monochrome pixels combined with the definition from the camera manufacturer telling you what colour each pixel is into a colour image. And the name for that process is demosaicing. So we say that the raw the, the raw sensor data is mosaiced by this grid of red RGB filters in front of each pixel, which look like a tiled floor. A little bit garish tiled floor, but a tiled floor. So it's a mosaic of different colours of pixel, and we demosaic them into a colour image. A traditional RAW file stores the unmosaic data, and the first thing that the RAW editor has to do is mosaic the data before it can do anything else. Now, how you mosaic the data is determined by the physicality of the sensor, and to be honest, that's not actually where the power of RAW editing comes in. It's just something you have to do before you can do the RAW editing you actually want to do. So ProRAW does not store the unmosaiced data. It stores the mosaic data instead, which makes it very different to RAW files up until this point. But that ability, uh, that change from storing unmosaic to mosaic data has some very interesting side effects. Not side effects, sorry. <sighs> Reasons. Apple didn't make that decision on a whim. Apple made that decision because it comes with great power. So the first piece of great power is that if the demosaicing has been done, you don't need to have the reader have deep physical knowledge of the physicality of the sensor. So Apple become free to change their sensors over time and developers of apps that read pro raw will never have to update their apps to take account of the fact that apple's cameras now work slightly differently to how they used to so apps like halide will not have to be updated every time apple bring out new cameras because the mosaicing will be done by apple and then the high bitrate data, it still has all of those deep, deep bitrates, way more information than your screen can display, but it's been demosaic. And so the price you pay is that you can't second guess the demosaicing. But that's not really what we wanted the extra data for. We didn't want the data. The demosaicing was a chore we had to do. It wasn't something we wanted to do. So we don't have to do it now, and the advantage is the hardware has been abstracted out. The other thing that's been abstracted out is the number of actual shutter activations required to collect the data. So Apple can do all sorts of clever things, like instead of taking a single image, take some sort of video and then collect 
average the pixels out over the video to create the data that then gets demosaic. All that stuff can be abstracted away before the demosaicing step. And what's stored in the DNG file is the end result of all that cleverness. So that means that how you collect the high bitrate data for each pixel has been abstracted away from the high bitrate data for each pixel. So the high bitrate data is in the DNG 1.6, aka the ProRAW file, but how we got there is entirely up to the camera to do. So that means Apple can improve their cameras with gay abandon, and all the apps will continue working, and we won't have to wait for updates every time a new iPhone comes out. That's cool. And Apple are free to do really clever tricks with how they collect the light, and it won't have none of the camera, none of the editing apps need to take account of all this cleverness. So again, that's really cool. So a purist will argue it's not a true raw because the data has been demosaic for you. I don't care. The advantages of having that demosaicing done for you are huge, and I'm absolutely delighted that Apple has chosen to go that route. But before DNG 1.6, the storage of demosaic data was not something DNGs could do. Now they can. So every camera manufacturer on planet Earth is now free to start to store demosaic data instead of mosaic data in their digital negatives. That's cool. The second thing that Apple added to the DNG standard is something they call the gain table. So this is basically a way of non-destructively storing a tone map. So tone mapping is the process of taking the high bitrate data that has more bits of information than we can see on a screen and translating that, compressing that, into the amount of bits we can see on the screen. And ultimately, tone mapping comes down to darkening highlights and brightening shadows so that you end up with something that works across the entire range from bright to dark. And you do that by editing different areas of the image differently. And the maths that goes into calculating that is huge. And that's what all the cool sensors and stuff on the iPhone are for. But the end result of all that calculation can be accurately represented as simply, for every pixel in the image, how much brighter or darker should it be than its raw demosaic data? In other words, for every pixel you store a gain, brighten by X or dim by X. So a gain map is a list of brighten this pixel by this much, this pixel by that much, darken this one by this much, darken that one by that much. It's just, you multiply the value in this pixel by this much for every pixel. So it's just one number for each pixel in the image. So Apple can put amazing AI and all sorts of really cool chips and software to work figuring out a good tone map. And they can then store that tone map entirely non-destructively in the pro raw file using this new attribute or tag within the format called a game table. So the pro raw file, which is just a DNG 1.6, stores mosaic, sorry, demosaiced high, pix- high bitrate data for each pixel and a gain table, which maps each pixel to how much brighter or darker it should be to get a nice tone mapped exposure. But that means that the act of tone mapping hasn't destroyed any data because the tone mapping hasn't really been done. It's just been recorded as, if you want to get the tone mapped version, darken by this much, brighten by this much for each pixel. 
So that means that not only has the tone map been non-destructive, but the tone map is retroactively editable. So you can simply remove the effect by having your image editor ignore the gain uh, the gain table altogether, or you can put a slider on it and apply the effect more or less strongly than Apple suggests. Or you can calculate a whole new gain table and save it non-destructively. So you can now do tone mapping without destroying the raw. That's pretty darn powerful. So that's exciting. And then the final thing Apple added into the standard really surprised me that they would do this, but it's so cool that they have. They have added something they call semantic maps. This is a way of storing the output of Apple's image analysis AI. So Apple have Apple's one of the things Apple have been working on is adding the AI into their editors, etc., to look at an image and say, ah, that is a dog, or that is your grandma, or whatever. And that can now be stored straight into the Pro Raw file. Literally, the way you should think of semantic maps is a way of storing these pixels over here are a dog and those pixels over there are a tree. So that any app can make use of the intelligence of the image processing. It also means that you could take a DNG file from one camera, run it through a third party's AI, and have the third party do arguably a better job than Apple at the image analysis and store their image analysis results into ProRaw file. Because again, it's just an open part of the spec now. Anyone is free to analyze the image and write semantic meaning. Semantic is a fancy pants word for meaning. You can apply meaning to chunks of an image. These pixels over here mean this. That is extremely powerful. So what we see now from ProRaw in a day-to-day practical effect, you're an iPhone 12 Pro owner. You now have sliders in Apple's standard photo editor to allow you to adjust the intensity of Apple's AI on the image, which is cool. Let's you retroactively, let's you do all the normal raw edits, like change the white balance and recover shadows and recover highlights. All that stuff you could do with a normal raw image. And you can back off the tone mapping. But that's just the start. Because this format is non-destructive and open. So all of Apple's brains are now going to be available to third-party apps. And anyone making a camera phone for any platform, or indeed a full digital camera, a DSLR, are free to copy Apple and to be just as clever. And we have this interchangeable format now for non-destructive, really clever imaging. This is the future. So this is just, you know, the fact that this is open is not something I was expecting. It's not something Apple pushed. The fact that this now gives us a raw format that's hardware agnostic freeing Apple up to make all the changes they want to their sensors without it affecting any of the editors. And we still get to have the advantages of raw images. 
and the fact that the tone map is now non-destructive and stored into the image. And in the future, as AI gets better, the semantic maps are going to become ever more important too. This is a foundational technology for moving forward, in my opinion. So I thought it was just a cool new feature for iPhone users. But it's not. It's much bigger than that. It's DNG 1.6, and it's a toolkit that everyone else in the industry is now free to use. So I hope, I hope I've managed to share why it is that I'm so excited about Apple's new Pro Raw standard, which is in fact DNG 1.6. Okay, I'm going to stop prattling on. Um, there is a short summary of what I wanted to say in this show over at lets-talk.ie in the form of some show notes. Particularly important, frankly, are the links to the Understanding Pro Raw uh, blog post by Ben Sandowski and the Cameras and Lenses by Bartos C, as I shall call him, because I do not want to butcher his surname, which I will if I try to pronounce it. Again, both excellent reads. Okay, while you happen to be over at letsashtalk.ie, you'll notice in the sidebar there's a banner called Support the Show, and underneath it you'll find big blue buttons. First and foremost, you know, a year has just come to an end, so... Everyone, each and every one of you who have supported the show in any way whatsoever in 2020, a heartfelt and genuine thank you. This is a 100% listener-supported show. There are no advertisers. There are no sponsors. And I'm not in a position to do this in a way that it costs me money. I need podcasting to be cost-neutral. Not counting on it to make me money. This is not my career. This is not my job. I have one of those. But I need this to not cost me money. And so if it weren't for the fact that listeners support the show, the show wouldn't exist. But it does exist. And the reason it exists is because you guys rock. This thing, to within a, you know, fudging error, breaks even. And that is amazing to me. And I am so thankful to everyone who has helped make that so. And while it's really obvious that if you click the PayPal button and send me money, you are helping to make the show pay for itself. And while it's really obvious that if you become a patron of the show through Patreon and pledge a small dollar amount for each episode, there will be two episodes a month, it's really obvious that that helps support the show. What may not be as obvious is that each and every one of you who have shared your love of the show, I hope, with a friend or on social media, you are also helping the show because a small percentage of every listener is in a position and desires to make a financial contribution. So to increase financial contributions, either I have to become way better at what I do and make a higher percentage of the listeners contribute financially, but that's really hard to do. And also, especially in a year of a pandemic, that's really hard to do. Because money's tight. People's, you know, people are not in a position to pay for every podcast they listen to. I listen to hundreds of podcasts. I can't support them all. But the thing is, if you spread word about the podcast, if the same percentage of people support the show financially, then by increasing the number of people, you still increase the show's income. So while it doesn't sound like simply tweeting or Facebooking or whatever in the show is helping the show. No, no, it really is helping the show. And while it may not sound like writing a review for the show in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice is helping the show, it actually is helping the show. It helps more people find the show, which means there is a bigger pool of people to contribute financially. And that, you know, the fact that it's now at the stage where the thing is 
pretty much breaking even is amazing. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And even those of you who think you haven't been supporting the show, you actually have been. And it's because of you that it's possible for this show to keep existing. So really, the bottom line is thank you. A lot of you are helping in ways you don't realize. And thank you. If you'd like to start supporting the show, if you're in a position to do so, and you're not going to put yourself through any hardship, well, hey, look, there's buttons there to support the show. You can make a one-off donation via PayPal, you can become a patron through Patreon, or there are affiliate links for those of you who need to register domain names through Hover.com, or for those of you who need virtual machines and cloud services to get them through DigitalOcean.com. Anyway, let's us talk .ie. I'm going to draw a line under it here, just remains for me to say I've been your host Bart Bouchots you can find me at bartb.ie and until next time happy snapping you're listening to another great podcast in the MyMac podcasting network Looking for a show that talks about Apple and Apple products? Then Geekiest Show Ever is for you. What about Amazon? Google. Geekiest Show Ever is for you. Mesh networks, distance learning, all kinds of technology, interviews. Yes, Geekiest Show Ever covers that too. I'm Elisa Paselli. And I'm Melissa Davis. Listen to the Geekiest Show Ever on the MyMac Podcasting Network in your favorite podcast player. Feedback, show ideas, and reviews, always welcome.